welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 26, In Memoriam. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And Lost Girl Season 4 is here! I am so, so, so excited, and... (laughs) We are all excited, let's be honest. Okay, so we're all really excited, and for this week's episode, which was entitled In Memoriam, the the Season 4 premiere, Chris actually came up with the drink special for this week, so what you got for us, Chris? Yes, Stephanie delegated it to me since she hadn't seen the episode yet, and I didn't want to tell her what it was before she'd seen the episode, because, spoilery... It is called a mind eraser, and it is one part Kahlua, one part vodka, and two parts Sprite over ice. And it's surprisingly good. I was skeptical when I saw it, but I kind of like it. For the record, I'm the only one drinking tonight. <laughs> well, I would have if I had known what, what it was. I would have gotten some Kahlua, but I, alas, all I have is, is coffee. It'll have to do. Okay, so let's start with first impressions. What did y'all think of the season four premiere? I thought it was, well, what the effery awesome, because there were so many questions, but it was just, what? And at the same time, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, this happened, and this happened, and, okay, yes, disclaimer up front, as the docubus shipper, (laughs) as the docubus waving the banner... Is this going to be your docubuster for the episode, Annie? No, no, no. That is coming up later. Okay. <laughs> but no, I just, I loved it without, you know, it just shows what a strong cast Lost Girl has. Because without Anna Silk being there due to her pregnancy, and, you know, I got the feeling that Lauren wasn't going to be in it much. And I just, that cast is so strong and so amazing. And it's such amazing writing. And it was such a strong season opener because they really did turn everything upside down and sideways and pretzel-like so that I just loved it. I loved it also. And, okay, so two initial things, and this isn't really overall impressions, but honestly, this was stuff that I went, oh, during the episode. Uh, One thing, oh, that's why Chris Holden-Reed was talking about green tights to George Takei. And another was... Uh, let's see. Oh, that's why Paul Amos wouldn't stop talking about his codpiece at DragonCon. <laughs> yes, honestly, those were the things that I went, oh, <laughs> during the episode. It all makes sense now. Yes. I know. So much makes sense now. That's why he couldn't stop talking about the costume. Well, I just thought it was such a fun episode. But it was kind of a strange episode to pick for the premiere, because if you're a new viewer and you're like, oh, I'm going to check out Lost Girl this season, you'll have no idea what's going on. Because My thoughts, exactly. It's It was so much fun because it's such a, it's so heavy with fan service, like seeing the the Kenzie and Dyson relationship. I know there's a lot of fans out there who ship that relationship, but it's clearly not a place the show would have gone otherwise, if not for this little alternate reality bend. And I have to throw in here while Stephanie's breathing. (laughs) Stephanie, like all caps, messaged me when that happened. So I knew when she got to that part (laughs) when she was watching it. 
I did. I did. So, you know, we had we had fan service with, with Dyson and Kenzie. We finally got to see at least the beginnings of Aoife and Trick kind of meeting face-to-face for the first mm. time in a really so long time. Awesome. We had all these little co- callbacks to previous episodes. But, again, kind of a strange episode for a season premiere, which I think what it might indicate is that we're really going into serialized storytelling this season. This is not going to be more standalone episodes like we had in seasons one and to an extent in season two as well. Season three was a lot more serialized and I think season four is going to be in the same vein given what we've given this first episode. Which of course as Uber fans we're super excited about, right? I'm pretty excited about it, it's true. Me too, and I think that a lot of the cast has been mentioning that in interviews, that this season will be more serialized. And I, as Chris keeps saying, oh, now this makes sense. I keep looking for all the pieces and all the hints we've seen in interviews dropped in as the season goes on. I want to see them all fit into place now that the episodes will be airing. I think that the seasons have gotten more serialized as they've gone on with the storyline with the Garuda and then the whole storyline with Tamsin coming in and the Wanderer, what does that mean in season three and the Dawning. And then now with the Una Mens in season four and the Wanderer, which still is not wrapped up. So yeah, I think it's definitely not really what you want to start with as a new fan. Um, but I think it's a very, I hate to use this word so much because I think it's overused by producers, a very bold direction <laughs> for the show to go in. It really was a chance to take it, uh, the show in this direction and to start off like this, uh, with not, not a lot of exposition for new fans at all. There were little hints here and there, but yeah, I had the same thought going, if you're a new fan watching this, you would have been like, huh? But I th- I also think that the writers were kind of, they had to start off the show in a way because they don't have their main star. So they really had to invent and take the show in a different place. And I think they did a fantastic job. Yeah, it's definitely not a show, an episode for new fans, but I think it's a great episode for existing fans because just over the seasons, fans really tend to gravitate toward these quote-unquote out-of-the-box episodes like Original Skin in Season 2 with the body-swapping, Confagion in Season 3 where where people were acting like teenagers. Fans really seem to love seeing these characters put in situations that are a little strange. So I think they maybe that was kind of the, the some of the reasoning behind it. It's like, okay, we can't because we don't have Anna Silk do a, an episode that would work best for new fans, but here's something old older fans, you know, existing fans might really love. And Emily Andrus did say in the TV Guide Canada interview that the plan was always to have Anna disappear or or have Bo disappear at the end of season three. So because they, they knew going in that that was something they wanted to do. So they're they're taking advantage of it. Yeah, given that Anna Silk did not find out that she was pregnant until the very end of filming season three, I kind of figured that that was the plan all along. And it wasn't just it wasn't done because she had she had her pregnancy. So she actually right, really right. I think it was lucky. They really lucked out at the timing of, of Anna Silk's pregnancy and the story and, and things like that. So it was already really easily written in that she could not be in this episode. Fortuitous timing is the phrase you're looking for. Indeed. So speaking of Anna Silk not being in this episode, instead, as our lead, we have the lovely and talented and fabulous Ksenia Solo, who I thought just knocked it out of the park. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, from the very beginning, when you see Ksenia in there, in the opening scene, and she's doing her Kenzie thing and sneaking in, to, and you're like, Ooh, what's going on here? And then, you know, knock me over the head, it's revealed that she's got fey powers, or does she? And then we find out they're temporary. You know, it's revelation after revelation in this episode. And then it's, I think, it just you know, keeps knocking you over the head because you want to know what the heck is going on. But then you realize that when you realize that even Kenzie is not acting like Kenzie, you know that something's going on (laughs) because if Kenzie can't remember Bo, then something's really off. And I thought that Ksenia really had a great range that she got to play in this episode. She got to have some great Kenzie one-liners. She got to do some action sequences. She got that wonderful dance sequence with Chris Holden Reed and Casey Collins. And then she got some really good emotional moments. And I, uh, the scene I was really impressed with her with was actually the scene with her and Massimo, where he's clearly being a very intimidating, not good character and trying to take advantage of her monetarily and sexually i thought she was wonderful in that scene yeah he was super super creepy in that super wanted me to made me want to take a shower yeah Yeah. that yeah also i have to ask uh did did we hear kevin screaming or (laughs) or has he seen the episode yet so our friend Kevin Batchelder, who has been a guest on this show a couple of times, said when he was a guest on the Kinsey episode that if Kinsey became Faye, we would be able to hear him screaming from the East Coast. And so I think he has seen it. I think I saw hit that he watched it on Twitter the other day. So let us know, Kevin, if you were indeed screaming. <laughs> it has been really windy here. Maybe that's like the the butterfly effect of his his... It's true. Mm -hmm. It's been very, Mm -hmm. very windy here in Dallas. So if that's because of you, Kevin, let us know. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about Kenzie and Dyson. As Chris (laughs) mentioned, when I got to the scene where they started kissing, I did send her a text message that was in all capitals and said, ew, 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 Kenzie and Dyson, (laughs) ew. (laughs) I think there might have been a no in there somewhere also. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what happened for me is that I was watching... And you can tell with the dialogue and the music and something's about to happen. And he's like, why would you be lonely with me here? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 wait. And then they start kissing and I'm all, and it's like a train wreck. I couldn't look away. I was like, that's so wrong. And then I'm like, oh, there's a lot of Denzi fans out there. Yay. They got their wish fulfilled. And then I'm like, yes, Kenzie is with Dyson. That means Lauren and Bo can be together forever and it's Docubus forever. So this was my whole thought transition within about four seconds. <laughs> and of course, you went back to Docubus. You always and end then, on Docubus. Always. It always begins and ends there. But it was still confusing as hell because I seriously did not know what the hell was going on in that episode for like half of it with the whole memory thing. But maybe I'm just dense that way. I should clarify my my ew 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 strong reaction. It, it's complicated because I think it's just because I really see 
Dyson and Kenzie as a big brother, little sister type of relationship. So the thought of them being a couple just feels a little wrong to me. But it's not that I, I think that they make an unattractive couple. And I'm sure that, you know, some people who, you know, may have even thought that, you know, the kiss was really hot. That's fine. I'm not trying to say that y'all are weird if you think that. But just for me personally, it was like seeing a big brother kissing his little sister. It was just strange. Well, and it's not like the actors don't have chemistry that, you know, Ksenia and Chris can't pull that off, that they look really good together and all of that. And you were talking about Ksenia's, you know, range in the episode. And one of my favorite moments was at the end when Dyson and Kenzie have that talk and Dyson's like, wait, what if we keep it this way? And, you know, what if this is as good as things get? And that's where I kind of went, ew, ew, ew. But then... Kenzie said, you know, my heart hurts and I don't know why. And I loved Ksenia's interpretation of just that bit because, you know, it's all about Bo. And I was just like, oh, Benzi. So, which is really <laughs> confusing because that's Bo and Kenzie, but could also be Bruce and Kenzie. So I think, I think that's Brenzi, isn't it? Brenzi? Okay. I have not heard Brenzi. So, okay. But speaking of Bruce, where's Bruce? More Bruce, please. Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. He needs to come back from his little bridge. I think he's going to show up later in the season. I'm I not hope sure. so. Okay, back to Dyson and Kenzie for just a second. Go for it. It's one of those things, and I mean, obviously, by by that point, it kind of figured out, oh, there's, they don't have Bo. So, and, and I think we'd maybe mentioned this in a previous episode, I kind of think with no Bo, those two could actually, like, work pretty well. I know it's kind of weird, but... I kind of yeah. dig it. I can see it. Because I always like Dyson most when he's with Kenzie. I agree. And I feel like if Bo were not there, their relationship would be a little different. Perhaps it would be less oh, absolutely. big brother, little sister than it was. But given that we know their history, it, it just felt strange to me. But I think had Bo not been there, they would have made a pretty good couple. Right. So that was my initial reaction, followed by my thought, or is Dyson just attracted to that robe? <laughs> that robe has seen a lot of action. Along with this Kenzie and Dyson relationship that we had in this episode, we got to see the wonderful triangle scene between Kenzie, Dyson, and Hale, which played out in a big dance number, which made me so happy because I'm a musical theater nerd, so I always love dance numbers. Dancing with the Fae, for real, because I know for it looked reals. like... I always have the eye when I'm looking, you know, I don't have any dance skills or anything, but I'm always looking at shots going, oh, no, that's all them. You know, um, you know, I, there's no extra, there's no um, stand-ins Double. or doubles. Yeah. And I know Ksenia tweeted that later, that she was so proud of Casey and Chris for, um, you know, working so hard on that number. And it was really, really well done. Just so incredible. And Ksenia's mom choreographed it. And I, Emily said, I think in her interview that her mom and Ksenia put the fear of God in Chris and Casey just to get that number down right. And you could tell they just worked their butts off at it. So well done to everybody. I loved it. Loved it. Well, luckily, they're both really athletic anyway. So yeah, yeah. But it was great seeing all the tension between the triangle because... Hale's feelings are still there under the surface that he's, you know, admitted for Kenzie at the end of season three. And now Dyson's got this weird thing going on with Kenzie and this, you know, weird alternate universe. We've forgotten Bo, you know, missing memory. So, uh, you know, you think that wouldn't have happened without the memory tampering, but it was just so neat to see it unfold that way. 
But I, maybe that that might have been a little hint from the show that triangle, we are in deep with the triangle. Even when yeah. Bo isn't there, we have to have a love triangle. We have to have a shape. <laughs> three sides. Well, and I have to say that, honestly, I feel like that little love triangle between Dyson Hale and Kenzie, that dance scene was way more fun than any of the, the love triangle scenes have been between Bo, Lauren, and Dyson. Those are always a little more <laughs> intense. So Intense, awkward. Exactly. It was nice weird. to have like a fun love triangle scene. Yeah, yeah. But that even, was great. The, even the, you're a wolf, you can scooch. I know you like that scene. Oh, I do like that scene. And you're talking about at the beginning of Arachnophobia. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I do like that scene, but that has a different feel to it. There's a lot more hostility going on there. This one was just pure fun. Well, I think if there is more of a triangle scene, which I'm sure is going to be in there, the, the usual Bo, Lauren, Dyson triangle, I think it'll feel different given the relationship between Lauren and Dyson. So who knows? Well, we know there's going to be an ice cream cone at the very least. Yes. <laughs> I think another big highlight of the episode, at least for me, was Vex, especially seeing Paul Amos in that outfit. <laughs> vexy, Vexy, Vexy. I just kept trying to picture it because he kept saying it's going to be crazier than you even even imagined the even in the first episode. And when it came out, I'm all, wow. <laughs> they put him in heels, and I'm like. That is just a man who can do that. I mean, I can't even walk in flats, but give Paul Amos credit because he, he tweeted the other day, he had a Q&A, and he, I loved his one answer. How was it like to walk in the heels? He goes, bloody painful. <laughs> well, he did not oversell the absurdity of that costume. He talked a lot about it at Dragon Con, and yes, it was as ridiculous and over-the-top and awesome as he made it out to be. And he just owned it. You know, I gotta give Paul Amos big credit for the confidence that he comes to Vex with. He just goes for it, and it wouldn't work otherwise. It it took me a few scenes to, like, really take in the entirety of that outfit, because it's just... Because, yeah, you, you do sort of hone in on, like, the hat and the heels at first. And then, and then your eyes drift to the codpiece. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice the codpiece until later, yeah. Yeah, there were the straps that were passing for a shirt or whatever yeah. it was. I know, I kept looking at, oh, nipples. But, um, <laughs> it was the leather version of of uh, Lilu's outfit from f- the Fifth Element, It kind of is, now yeah. that you mention it. But it was so funny because mentioning the cod piece, I was noticing on a second pass when I was watching the episode again, you know, the last shot when Vex is down on the floor and Kenzie... The side view? Yeah, the side view. And (laughs) Hale is saying to Kenzie, we need to talk. She's like, later, later. And it's the side view. And yeah, all you see is side of Vex profile, big bump for the cod piece and his hands resting there in the whole shot. And it is so freaking funny. And I'm just like, well... Yeah, if I had something that big, I'd just, yep, it's a nice resting place, but it's just so funny. I'm like, oh, and he stays that way for the whole shot, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm all, that's a cod piece. Somebody described it on Twitter, it's like a S&M version of Shakespeare or something like that, with the with the ruffled collar and the, you know, cod piece and the hat, so. And I gotta say, even though I thought Kinsey had some great lines in this episode, I think Vex got the best one with... Since when do you like bowls? <laughs> that, 
made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Mainly because I love when Vex like makes tries to make Dyson nervous by flirting with him. <laughs> I have to say, it was so fun to see Vex be naughty Vex again, where he's using his powers in that just mischievous, malevolent way and, you know, burns the assistant with the iron and, you know, using them against Haley. I think one of the highlights of this episode is that it was really good to see everybody using their powers again. We haven't seen Hale use his powers in forever or Vex, you know, he didn't have his powers for a long time and to see them in that, you know, kind of knockdown, drag out Faye fight was really exciting and I think that was kind of a nod to the fans going, well, we know you've been missing this, this and this. So, although you know, it was, it came in my opinion, it became a little vicious when Hale's got Vex down on the ground and he just keeps going and I'm like no, don't kill Vexy, I love Vex. So, you know, fortunately everything was fine and everybody got their memory back, but but yeah, the everybody using their powers and um, the fact that uh, Dyson says that you know, Vex's powers don't work on him if he goes to sh- into shift mode, which I didn't know that. I thought they had established that before. Uh, not that I recall. Maybe I'd forgotten it. Yeah. I, but they, they said know. it twice. So I was kind of like, where are they going with this? Because clearly they're telling us this for a reason. But yeah, I love seeing naughty Vex again. And, you know, it was kind of like the Vex of old, you know, showing that, you know, he's not just a softie who's going to talk about mascara all the time. He's still a badass and a very, very dangerous fae. And I thought that confrontation between Vex and Hale really showed us a different side of Hale. That's really the first time we've seen Hale be an aggressor by himself. He's often brought in by somebody or, you know, he's back up or something like that. And while he was, in a sense, back up for Dyson originally, he continued to just be the aggressor against against Vex once Dyson left. And... We just talked about Hale last week. We Last episode was a, a, our discussion about Hale, and we had talked about whether or not Hale had intended for Vex to rise to the position of the Morrigan when he made the deal with him at the end of season three. And I guess we got our answer in this episode. It looks like that was indeed not his intention, because he was, he was very angry at Vex for how that had played out. Well, and he was angry at Vex for, especially he mentioned Kenzie, and for what he did to Kenzie, because it shows how strong his feelings are for Kenzie. But yeah, and then Vex taking advantage of the whole situation, the fact that he'd figured out that they'd all had their memories wiped, and he's like, I'm gonna keep this position. I've got the power, and I want it. You know, I'm a powerful fae, but now I've got even more of it. So he does the whole thing with the Morgan, you know. I, I love the story about her dying on the toilet, and I'm like, oh, what an ungracious way for the for Ebony to go, but... um you know, now that he's got her trapped and in a cell somewhere, you know, that is going to be one pissed Ebony when she gets out. And I would love to see the fight that's going to be between her and Vex. So, um, yeah, I can't wait for that one. But just whole Vex's scheming was uh, another element that I liked. Yeah, the reveal that Ebony was alive would have been a, a bigger, better reveal had they not shown her in the previews for the season. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but still, the dying on the toilet thing, I don't know why, I just found that very <laughs> amusing. Because you're weird, Annie. <laughs> I did, that's just weird writers, but I'm like, I don't know what, she gets stopped up and have a cramp and die or something? I don't know. Weird things can happen on the toilet. Anyway. Actually, I think there is like a whole thing where you can like burst an aneurysm. Anyway, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> 
I remember that from an X-Files episode. Yeah, that's why I know it, too. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, my yeah. God. I'm not going to watch that episode. Anyway. War of the Coprophages. Actually, it's a great episode. You should watch it. It is a great episode. Season four, I believe. Okay, I'll check it out on Netflix. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd alert. So one of the things that I really enjoyed was seeing uh, Aoife back, which was really nice to see from the beginning, because I'm like, mm, such a badass. But then here's, this was my confusion. This is what made me so confused at the beginning of the episode. First, I had to figure out that everybody's forgotten Bo, but then Aoife still remembers that she's had a daughter. But I'm like, but I thought everybody forgot Bo, but maybe it's the mother-daughter bond that she somehow still remembers having a daughter, even if, you know, and she still remembered Bo's name. But or could the succubus healing have something to do with it? Uh, maybe, but it, obviously it wasn't strong enough to break the bond, and it made her forget, you know, how much she hated Daddy. You know, how much she hated Trick. So, But here's the thing about the scene with Trick that I can't let go of, or my mind can't let go of. You know, she walks up to him calmly, they remember Bo, and then she pulls out that knife out of her, her handbag, but but she had the giant knife in her handbag. <laughs> you know what I mean? She, uh, I think that Aoife walks around with a giant knife in her handbag. I, that totally scanned for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, wait, were you, like, asking why she had a knife in the first place? And I'm like, well, it's Aoife. Not necessarily. Because it's Aoife. I'm just saying that uh, it seemed like she'd kind of calmed down, <laughs> and that was sort of the way they introduced her, but apparently not so much, or, or not that much cuz giant knife like a hunting knife even when she had before she remembered bo i think they were still suggesting she's way a lot more of an aggressive succubus than well, sure. than bo is so i think it, it totally was not out of character or it didn't seem strange to me for her to have it and then she mentions taft earlier in the episode and you see her kind of give this I don't know if it's a shudder of revulsion or of fear, and you figure that had to have traumatized her or put her on the edge, and she's always going to be on the defense, and she's like, they're going to take me again, they're going to get a knife in their ass, or succubus to death, to death, you know? So, um, I think this was the thing about the whole memory thing that took me a while to figure out, that it's a selective memory loss. They still remember who they are, you know, we have that little bit of exposition where Kenzie's like, talking to Trick about why she doesn't like the Fae and that they're against humans and the dark and the light. And so Kenzie remembers that she's human. They all remember everything about their lives except Bo. And, but their relationships, as we see with Dyson and Kenzie, are a little skewed. I mean, maybe it's the influence that Bo had on their lives as well. Because I don't, as you said, I don't think Dyson and Kenzie would have just gotten together uh, had Bo been there. But yeah, I mean... Obviously, I think Trick will survive the day, but uh, I'm kind of wondering how, because to me, this is always a mystery about Trick. You know, he's incredibly powerful, but like Lauren, he's not a physical fighter. But when you've got your crazy daughter chasing after you with a huge hunting knife pulled from her purse, uh, I wonder how that's going to play out. So next week, I guess. Well, Trick has shown to know how to use magic and given that he was confronting Aoife, perhaps he brought some sparkly dust that would allow him to either stop her or to disappear himself. So I'm thinking maybe that's part of it, but who knows? We'll hopefully we'll see soon how that how that 
confrontation plays out. Maybe he has a protection charm on him or something. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He obviously, he asked Kenzie, tell me everything you about your client. So then he knew it was his daughter. So yeah, he could come in prepared because that's unlike Trick not to be prepared. Although he was best by a car trunk as well. So you never know. But he had a dagger with him. So yeah, we'll yes, see. Yes, he was not completely defensive, defenseless. He still I'm had not, a- I'm not bashing Trick. I'm just kind of wondering. I'm like, oh boy, your daughter's really pissed. I hope you're going to get out of this one. You know, we know he will. I just, I'm curious to see how it's going to, how it's going to happen. So. I gotta say, I kind of liked the effect that Forgetting Bows had on both Aoife. She seemed to be a lot more peaceful. And on Dyson, because he was not Mr. Birdie, 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 Birdie in this episode. He was not brutuitous as he usually is. He actually, I thought Chris Holdenreed was delightful in this episode. He was very funny. He had some good exchanges with different characters and he just didn't, wasn't burdened by this. I've sacrificed my love so that because my, my the woman I love is with somebody else burden on him any longer. Well, I did feel that a little bit at the end when. Kenzie kissed him on the nose and, you know, said, we'll just be friends and, you know, bros before hoes, <laughs> bros before hoes. And what was the other line about pals the, at the doll? Pals at the doll. That is like, that's got to be our, our second tagline or something. So that was brilliant. For a second there, it was like, should we change our name? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know. So. I was like, well, if we had waited to start the, the podcast after this episode had aired, we would probably call ourselves Pals at the Dow. Yeah. Well, we can be Pals at the Dow. So just. And I, I'm going to just say that that was a shout out to us. It wasn't, but <laughs> I'm just going to claim it anyhow. <laughs> That's brilliant. 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 So thanks, Emily Andrus, for the thank shout out. <laughs> and thank you so much for the unicorn. The, I mean, it wasn't just a little unicorn. It was a huge ass unicorn that was like, you know, as we saw the behind the scenes picture you know that was a big paper mache or whatever unicorn so thank you for smacking us in the face with it that was really delightful i'm gonna glass i'm gonna guess fiberglass oh fiberglass excuse me yes and who wants to take that home i think they should have the cast and crew all sign it and put it up for charity (laughs) i think that would go for a lot fun to season five (laughs) yeah exactly and i think um oh of course the other you know, nod to the fans was with the waitress. I mean, I'm a very, let's just say, active watcher of shows that I love. And when I laugh, I literally slap myself on the knee, like, till it hurts. And I was like, oh my god, the waitress! This is awesome! You know, and they said it was, they said on Twitter it was shot in the same restaurant that as the, um, as the pilot. So, even though to me it looked kind of different. But, um, yeah, I'm totally scoping that place out next time I go to Toronto. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think the they might have changed the decor a bit in there. I think the booths were different fabric. But speaking of of the diner, I thought the sets were really lovely in this episode. They got a, they used a bunch of new sets that we hadn't seen before, and I thought they like as usual did a wonderful job. I really liked all of the new sets that we saw. To me, the music was really good. The um you know, Benjamin Pinkerton's score, the score they used, uh, you know, whether it's the scene with Dyson and Kenzie at the beginning or just little moments here and there, I noticed because I always love to notice the score and I particularly loved it in a few scenes. And costuming, of course, my God, who else but Ksenia can like have her whole back revealed and still look so gorgeous with the hair. You know, I really loved her hair in that scene and 
everybody's costumes in like that party scene and George De- George Takei looking or George Takei looking very dapper with his green stockings, but on the top half he looked great. <laughs> um although I have to wonder if uh his character is done for after just Dyson merely throwing a spear through one end. I, and we of course love the oh my. But um I'm like Come on, he's a powerful fake. Can't he just like take it out with his arms and we'll see him again? You know, who knows? So, yeah, let's go ahead because there are a couple of big guest stars in this episode, and I think one of whom we're going to see again for sure. We had George Takei playing the collector, and I thought he was delightful. I, I was a little annoyed by the the S's. That was a little overdone for me. Not not necessarily George Takei's fault. It might have been scripted that way, but I thought he was delightful in the role and and. Very creepy. I don't think of George Takei as being particularly creepy, but he was quite creepy in that role. Well, when I first saw the promo pic of him, I'm like, that was my first reaction. I'm like, that is a really creepy smile. I really yes. don't like that. Yes. Delightfully creepy. Let's go with. I really liked his costuming, and I thought he made a great impression with the relatively small amount of screen time he had. Well, he's got to be a really powerful fae if he can grant any kind of wish and then see right through that Kenzie is human. And he's saying, you know, you foolish human, how can you only wish for this when I can apparently give her almost anything? But that's Kenzie, you know, being, I think maybe that's kind of like just her real heart just showing through. She knows something's wrong. So she's only going to go for this one thing for the compass just to find Bo. But she didn't even know who she was going to find. You know, they didn't, she didn't know what they had forgotten. Cause I think that was what he was insinuating with George Takei's character right. that he could bring Bo back, not just help them remember Bo, but actually bring Bo back. But Kinsey didn't know that she wanted that. Angerum. Angerum, thank you. Um, and then there was uh, Mia Kirshner. Mia Kirshner, who, I, as somebody who has seen the L word, my primary, the way that I usually think of Mia Kirshner is as Jenny Schechter, who I don't really care for. So I was very glad that there was not really many shades of Jenny of what we've seen of her on Lost Girl so far. Because she she had a role on Defiance, and I was she was a little too Jenny-ish in in the scenes that I the episodes that I saw her on Defiance, but I, I actually kind of enjoyed her. She seemed very fun and lighthearted in this episode, so I hope I continue to enjoy her and I don't start cursing the manatees here in a future episode. Cursing the manatees? I, I don't know. Oh um, no, I get it. Okay. <laughs> But see the the thing about uh, about Mia Kirshner uh, as Cleo. Apparently, Mia Kirshner actually gave a lot of input for her character because they said that that wasn't really where they were necessarily thinking of going with the character. But she sort of brought in that characterization. I guess is is what happened. She apparently brought in input. Yeah, she was she was all right. I mean, to me, the character seemed a little ditzy because she just at first seems to just want to flirt with Dyson and he's not interested. But then later when she says, well, I can get you out of here for a price. And to me, it's sounding like kind of like Massimo, where I'm like, OK, she's got an alternative agenda. And then I read Emily's interview later. Well, yes, she will show up later. And I'm like, good, because that was it was such a packed episode, you know, with get multiple guest stars and things like that. But um, that was one end that was left hanging. So, yeah, I want to see where she's going to go. I thought from the moment we saw her that she had something going on. There was something a little bit off about her, but I like that she wasn't overtly sinister. 
so I, I do, I, I'm pleased with what I've seen of her so far, and I'm curious to see her come back. What the hell is up with the oozing box? That was my next point. And the Unamens, who are they? Yes, they're fey elders that are coming in to restore things since the light and the dark have gotten mucked up in the last few years. And, you know, the $100,000 question is, who did this memory wipe? And Trick says, it's not the Unamens. They would not do something so subtle, apparently. It, well, is it the Wanderer? You know, what's the Unamens? What's this oozing box? How does Kenzie know about it in the beginning? Why is she trying to get it? You know, five gazillion questions. Is Bo in the oozing box? That was kind of my impression, because they show that right before Bo opens her eyes. But Bo is not oozy. Well, we only saw her eyes. She could be. We don't but know. But she, she disappeared in a cloud of, like, black smoke. So maybe she's really appearing in black ooze. Exactly. You never know. It's a fantasy show, and it could have sci-fi elements where she's half ooze in the next episode and has to be reformed from the something of the universe. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> Yeah, all these unanswered questions about the Unamens is driving us a little nuts, but I'm sure they are intended to because this sounds like a season arc. And I have to, I hate to say it, but it's like, please, please don't let this be like the, as it's termed, the yawning, where it's build up, build up, build up, and then the way it ended or the way it resolved was kind of a little, it's like, you know, it's like fizzles out unsatisfactory ending yes that's my sound effect for an unsatisfactory ending there's a sound effect and a hand motion <laughs> yes and <laughs> i but how do all the fey know that oh by the way we know the unamens are coming it's like did the unamens just like give him a date or something well we did see in the webisodes that both vex and Hale and Trick had warning that the Unimans were coming. So there is maybe the suggestion that, yes, they did announce that they were coming. <laughs> well, yeah, they announced they're coming, but, you know, on, you know, December 10th at 3 p.m. <laughs> when it's cloudy over in Toronto, you know, it's, it sounds like they kind of were narrowing it down a bit. Who knows? Wait, when is Canadian Sweeps Week? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it could be then. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of interesting to see the Unamens already established, though, because from from the webisodes, especially the one with Hale and Trick, it you know Hale it gets possessed and says all of these things and then just leaves, and Trick realizes, oh, it's the Unamens. And Trick being Trick, it seemed like he was going to be secretive about this group that was coming. But we see in this first episode, they're already have sort of, you know, supplanted the council and have kind of taken over the leadership in the time being. Well, yeah, and that's kind of, I feel like the story has to go backward a bit, or there has to be more exposition, hopefully on the part of the writing, where the audience will know. Why is this so established? Because there's still so many unanswered questions. But yeah, that's a good point that, you know, the characters seem to know what's going on with the Unimans more than the audience does. I'm wondering if when Bo returns, if maybe that will allow them to explain how the Unamens came and sort of settled in because she's been gone and hasn't really known what has happened. So maybe that will allow them to give that explanation. Right, we do have missing characters, so so there is opportunity for exposition, yeah. Well, despite what Trick said about the Unamens not putting the, you know, removing the memories from everybody, I still think... 
I don't know. I wonder if they have something to do with it or if the Unamens knows how powerful Bo is. Because that's kind of the crux of the series is Bo's power and that she still hasn't reached her potential and, you know, with her father, the Wanderer, and with her mother. So, you know, um, I wonder if the Unamens know who they're dealing with if Bo comes back, you know, full blast. I do think it's likely that whomever took Bo at the end of season three is the person who did the memory wipe. So I think we're supposed to assume that it was the Wanderer. So that's my thinking. It was probably the Wanderer. But it is it is sort of interesting to think what the Unamens know about Bo, what maybe their interest might be in her. You know, the Wanderer, obviously, he's very powerful. And he knew whose memory to erase. Everybody that was important to Bo. You know, everybody, regardless of where they were, whether it was Kenzie being in the clubhouse or Trick going off and then returning and then Lauren now wherever she is. So, you know, he and, you know, when did he do it? Apparently he must have done it maybe right after everything happened in season three. Maybe that's what the rune glass was. Oh, yeah. Time lapse or time delay. True. Well, I was wondering about the time lapse because... You know, how long has it been? I know Kenzie says, how long has it been? We don't even know how long she's been missing. And I think earlier in the episode, she mentions to she mentions to Dyson, you've been looking for a month for Tamsin. And I know the cast have said in interviews, it's been a few weeks in season three and season four. So that's kind of the timeline I'm going with. It's been long enough for Lauren to change her hair and find a new job and have a new name. Okay, now, I, this is the thing that I want to talk about. So... Is this your DocuBuster? Yes, this is my DocuBuster. Yes. Hey, can I make that like a thing on Twitter? A, a, a hashtag? Absolutely. Didn't Sally come up with that last week? Sally did come up with that last week. So that is trademark Sally Heaven, uh, who is S Heaven on Twitter. Instead of a filibuster, I get a DocuBuster every week. When Lauren came on at the end and, you know, finally we're all, yay, Lauren. But then I think we're all shocked into silence because we're like, the hair, the shirt, why is she a waitress? And to me, again, this is me being dense. I I got really confused and I tweeted later going, wait, did Lauren like lose her whole memory and just kind of forget that she was a doctor and just go off and to podunk Utah and dye her hair? And then someone reminded me going, well, you know, she is on the run from the Fae. And I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, later in the season, we get that episode about Lauren. So that's going to be a really big docu-buster for me. I'm warning you. So with Lauren, uh, I would love to see the background of this episode to kind of go, okay, she gets away from Taft and then she, you know, goes all alias and goes into the bathroom and dyes her hair and fixes a passport and goes off to wherever or, you know, gets a bus ticket and assumes the name Amber in a little shanty town. and Which is not what Sydney Bristow would have done. That's true. But yeah, so... I'm like, and all the Docubus fans, and I did not write this, they did, but they were like, oh, you know that Bo opened her eyes right after Lauren said her name. And I'm like, oh, that's just editing people. Yes, but, but it's a deliberate editing, because all editing is deliberate. <laughs> that's true. And I have to say, I love the special effects, the particular shade of blue they made Bo's eyes at the end of this episode. I don't know. I mean, have you noticed, I mean, this is me watching Lost Girl going... You know, there are different shades of blue at different times versus at the end of season two versus when we first see her eyes going blue in the first episode. You know, there's different shades. And it was a really deep shade of blue at the end of this episode. So I just thought that was cool. But whether she's in black ooze or not, we'll find out. 
but I hope to have more than 0.02 seconds of Lauren in the next episode. I'm saying no, probably not, get, judging by the, you know, photos that have come out, but I'll take what I can get. I have to ask, because we had an informal poll before we started recording, so now that we're recording, the wig in this episode, better or worse than the wig in the Interpol photo? Worse. I think it's better. I think, well, as I mentioned to you guys before we started recording, it's worse because it's in motion. And <laughs> Zoe's wearing it and you're all, oh, God. But just the color and no. I didn't think the color was that bad. It was the little wispy bangs that made it look weird. But yeah, I think at worst it was a lateral move. I don't think it was that bad. I think, though, that the show really missed an opportunity to make a Patsy Sewer reference and have and put <laughs> Zoe Palmer in brown dreadlocks. Yeah, I was like, you could have done a Patsy Sewer move and made her, you know, like singing on the sidewalk for 20 cents with her Patsy Sewer look. See, because <laughs> Patsy Sewer is a character that Zoe Palmer played in the show Instant Star, and Tim Rosen, who is a guest star for... In this episode, he plays Massimo, actually was on Instant Star. He was a regular. So if they could have combined the Patsy Sewer reference plus Tim Rosen in the same shot, they would have gotten double points. And Emily Andrus, <laughs> I believe, wrote for Instant Star. So yes, yes she, did. she did. Speaking of Lauren, I think another little bit of fan service might have been that lovely phone call that Kinsey made to Lauren mid-episode. That just warmed my little heart to see maybe some some little tendrils of friendship feelings developing between Kenzie and Lauren. You and me both. She defends her earlier in the episode, also in the episode to Trick, when Trick's like, well, we have people looking for her. She betrayed the Fae, and Kenzie's like, she saved Dyson's life. And she's on the run because look at what the Fae have done to her. Yes, I feel like Kenzie in that scene was sort of the mouthpiece for Lauren fans everywhere because because Trick doubting Lauren's motives and, and Kenzie saying, you know, she's just awkward and formal and shy. <laughs> and she saved Austin Dyson's life, you know. So thank you. I loved the little Kenzie-Lauren they weren't really interactions, but the Kenzie Lauren moments in this episode, they give me hope for this season. Well, and as I mentioned earlier, I believe that there's still parts of the characters that retain themselves and their, their true self, regardless of the memory, you know, wipe of Bo. And I think Kenzie reaching out to Lauren was, that was, that was all Kenzie, you know, and, uh, Kenzie, you know, using her skill set and everything to break into the, to break into the warehouse at the beginning, you know, they're all still themselves, kind of, but, you know, they still have a lot of their own skills. And Lauren obviously has her disappearing bad wig skills, so there you go. So I think that wraps up our discussion of the season four premiere. Let us know what you thought. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Are you? What are you looking forward to in regards to season four? We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can follow us on Twitter at Drinks at the Doll. You can also leave a comment over on the show notes at drinksatthedoll.com. This is episode 26. You can email us directly at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com or you can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972 972- Five one four seven two two three. We're so happy that you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.